Welcome, everyone, to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips, too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast, our listeners on talk radio, WWDB and WPEN HD2 97.5 FM. It's Tuesday drive time for you. Today's episode will talk barbecue with barbecue champion Ray Sheehan who has won several awards in barbecue competitions and for his delicious lines of sauces, and we're going to tell you how to get those. We will then speak with Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture in the great Hudson Valley, New York area. We are going to talk to their farm director, Jack Algier. Amorous Pollock, introduce your fantastic guest. Hi, so I want to introduce Ray to everyone. Ray has um, barbecue Buddha, and he his sauces are amazing. I've had them. John Cole, who was a regular on the shows, had them. Jim Hassan, um, you know, you've had them, Kevin. Unbelievable. Everyone that I yes, they your sauces are unbelievable. They win so many awards, and you know everybody kind of knows you now. So I wanted to introduce you to our new listeners, Ray Sheehan. Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Hey, Amherst. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being on the show with you guys again. And it's a pleasure to have you on again, especially with Labor Day. Um, I think this is actually going to play after Labor Day, but that does not mean that we can't stop stop barbecuing. Why don't you tell no, a little bit about... No, barbecue season is all year long. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And smoking, too, the smoking season. Yes. Um, why don't you tell a little bit about your history of how you got started? Um, you know, I've, I've always had an interest in... Uh, in live fire cooking. For me, it started many, many years ago when I would vacation on my grandparents' farm. Kind of got me going on that, but I would always, uh, you know, you know, experiment with a charcoal grill. And then uh, one year on my birthday, my wife got me a smoker. So I, I started uh, fooling around with that. And uh, my background has always been in the food business. I've worked in many restaurants. I've gone to culinary school and, um, I've had every job from a busboy up to being a chef and a food service director. And um, so it was always my dream to create some different products. And once I got into smoking meats, um, I, I really found that I enjoyed making the sauces and seasonings that would accompany the meats. So that's how it initially started with Barbecue Buddha. Um, I started creating sauces and seasonings for different uh, events and barbecues and then we got onto the barbecue circuit uh, with a team that I was helping out. And the sauces were really uh, well-received, as were the rubs. And uh, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try to see if I can get a co-packer and bottle these and uh, make a go of it on the side, you know. And uh, it just, one thing led to another as we started uh, getting the sauces out there. 
you know, we entered him into a couple different sauce competitions and uh, that's, that was six years ago and dozens of awards later. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really been an awesome experience. Um, and I found that in creating these products, um, what really made it awesome was that they were all natural. There was no artificial colors, flavors, and preservatives in my products. And they were competing against products that were juiced, so to speak, loaded up with MSG and high fructose corn syrup and high sodium. And and um, and we were winning. So I felt like at that point I knew we were onto something. You definitely were onto something. And, you know, the first time that you were on back in March – of 2020 we had we had discussed that too how you know the differences between getting a sauce that's loaded up with the corn syrup versus getting your sauce and you have real ingredients like when you read down the list it's real things and you know that makes such a huge huge difference and impact on your palate because you can taste the difference Yeah, and And, we only use premium ingredients, and more and more people today are looking out for those those key those key ingredients that they want to stay away from. So, you know, coming from the natural food world, I I learned about you know what different ingredients uh, could do for you or against you, and I, I just wanted to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Yeah. So right, and a good number of work. I'm sorry. So a good number of our listeners are actually barbecue people. I know a lot of uh, people who tune in are, are barbecue lovers or experimenting or, you know, amateur barbecue con- um, competitors and such like that. Can you give us a little bit of insight into the difference, you know, some of your secrets or some of your ideas for what makes a great dry rub? And, and obviously, you know, pork versus chicken versus, you know, a brisket are all going to be a little bit different. But, you know, what do you think are the essential tips that an amateur barbecue person is going to need to know about dry rubs? Uh, You know, one of the biggest things with dry rubs is using the right flavor profile for the right type of cooking. You know, I'm going to use a, a rub that's lower in sugar for high heat grilling because I don't want that sugar to caramelize over the high flames on the grill. But I will use that, you know, a sugar-forward rub if I'm smoking low and slow to help build the bark over a lower temperature for a longer period of time. That's probably my biggest tip. Uh, And also, you know, knowing what flavor profiles. In competition, we tend to layer flavors because a lot of times it's a one-bite challenge uh, for the judges because judges are sampling so many different bites, uh, you know, as you know, being a judge, um, you know, you're going to get full awfully fast. So you want to, you may only take one bite of something uh, of a competitor's food. So you really want to layer the flavors and you want to use rubs that work well together. Like with, I have two rubs on the market. One is a low sodium all purpose seasoning that's sugar forward. And the other one is like um, a seasoned salt, peppery infused with herbs. So those work well together on a brisket, on burgers, on steaks, because one has a lower sodium content and one um, has is like the opposite. So the, they work very well together on a piece of beef. So it's just really knowing 
what you're doing. You know, you could easily burn up, uh, you know, uh, something on the grill like if you if you want to barbecue or or sear a pork loin, I wouldn't use something that's high in sugar because it's gonna it's not gonna create a bark over the high heat. It's just gonna burn. Great advice. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, can we translate that into a couple things on, on sauces as well, you know, between a chicken and a pork and a beef, you know, for some of our listeners who decide to create some of their own sauces or try to go that route? So, I, I mean, uh, with competition, you know, if, if they're into competition, and you can even do this at home, I find that um, – I'm mixing a couple different sauces to get that flavor profile that I think the judges are really going to like and maybe doctoring it up. And I even do that with my sauces in competition. You know, I might mix my Kansas City with a hint of Memphis and a, a touch of honey or, you know, maybe a couple other little secret ingredients. But the point is, you know, you're going to you're gonna blend them to get the profile that you want. And you're really only adding the sauce as a finishing technique because, again, you don't you don't want the sugars to burn up over the over the flames. Now, um, I'm actually headed to Vermont because, and today we're going to dry rub the pig that we're going to to roast. Um, mm. But one of the things, yeah, it's a whole pig too, eyes and all, like awesome. not to gross people out, but it is a whole pig roast. Um, yep. but we're, we're doing the dry rub on, on the pig today and we usually pat, you know, go back and do it again the next day. Um, and right. then we'll inject the pig with a combination of, I believe we've now come down to like an apple cider with a beer and some other, you know, ingredients in there. Um, nice. the day of before we roast it. Would that be something that you would recommend is, you know, dry rubbing your meat a few days ahead or, like, at least overnight? Um, I have to say, you know, in competition, I do it. And even sometimes at home, if I really want to ensure tenderness, you know, if, I, if I'm – I just feel like it's a, it's a – it's a, injecting is a good way. It's like a safety net. It's not necessary in most of your backyard cooking. It really is, is beneficial um, to competition cooking, and it's beneficial to whole hog as well. Um, so I'm a big proponent of injecting or brining, you know, pork and chicken. Um, but definitely, even just to get that flavor throughout, and, and like I like to put a little hot sauce in with my injection if I'm making the injection from scratch, you know, a little apple cider and um and definitely a little bit of rub and some hot sauce. But when you use the rub in your injection, you want to grind it up a little finer so it can get through the injector. But uh, but I'm definitely a big proponent on that. Any any way that you can get extra flavor and tenderness into your meat, you know, that's the way you should go, I think. You know, you touched on a very interesting point there. That's the use of hot sauce. And people think that when they use hot sauce that it's just – you know, all it's doing is adding heat to things. And I use hot sauce as a marinade all the time. You know, oh, yeah. with my fried chicken, I use it with buttermilk and things. Because hot sauce, there's a lot of vinegar, there's a lot of spices, there's a, a, you right. know, a decent amount of sodium in there. So, you know, people don't be afraid to go out and, and do that. And I know, you know, when you said that, it's just, wow, thank you. Because, you know, that's such um, an important you know, thing. I know, I know. Uh, maybe a, a few competition cooks that 
will use sriracha as a, a binder for the ribs in competition. So you're really building that sweet heat profile if you use a sweet sauce to finish it. And the sriracha really gives it a nice hint of not only a little bit of a heat, but definitely a flavor. Like you said, there's so many different flavors going on in there. Yeah. And I mean, I, I actually, I'm slightly afraid to open up the bottle, but, um, because I'm sensitive to, to heat, but you do have a hot sauce on your line of, um, sauces. So I would, I, I want to plug that for a second. Thank you. <laughs> so this, this hot sauce that I have in my line is honestly, I'm very sensitive to heat too. Um, but this hot sauce is more of a, um, more of a robust sauce, I would say, as opposed to being super hot. It's it's really the kind of sauce that you can use on your eggs, on your pizza, on your chicken, um, in your wrap. When you go to wrap, if you wrap your ribs, I like to put a little hot sauce, honey, brown sugar, you know, some apple juice. But I definitely do the hot sauce because I always want to counterbalance the heat and the sweet. But this hot sauce is very versatile. It's a cayenne red pepper sauce with notes of garlic and spice. And it's not going to blow your face off. It's not going to ruin your day. But it is going to add flavor to your meal. And that's why we called it Mantra because we want you to use it. And it's our daily it's our daily mantra is to add flavor to your every meal. So little plug. And you certainly do have flavor in all of your sauces. I mean, and you balance it well, too. Every time that I've ever had, well, when we went to your place and you cooked for us, we um, we definitely enjoyed everything that you made. And you made a lot of uh, creative dishes because, as you had said, you used it in breakfast. Um, and, you know, yeah. you've mentioned on our show, but also, you know, in your cookbook, which, you know, came out a couple of years ago, um, you you became creative with your sauces, making sure that, you know, it was universal, you can play with your recipes, which I love right. because, you know, you understand that to be in the culinary world, you have to be able to be creative and make it your own. So, Absolutely, and I, I wanted people to use the, the cookbook kind of like, the way it's set up is, you know, with 10 different barbecue sauces that helped me win awards in barbecue, but then five ways to use each sauce. So you had 50 creative ways to use these sauces. Um, the name of the book is Award-Winning Barbecue Sauces and How to Use Them, uh, the Secret Ingredient to Next Level Smoking. And that was the thing. We wanted, like you said, we wanted people to be creative. We wanted to, them to use these recipes as a blueprint and, and make it their own. So there's a cherry bourbon. Um, you could make it easily a peach bourbon. You know, there's different different ways to, to you know, uh, mix and match within the book. Um, and, and uh, you know, I just want to point out that my book, my book did uh, it won Barbecue Book of the Year from the National Barbecue Association at their Awards of Excellence uh, this past year. So that was pretty which cool. Is, yeah, which is outstanding. And I know that you you're highlighted in so many different magazines and um and and news articles and whatnot because what you do create is delicious. Because you know what people don't understand is when you get those awards, the, that magazine and that article, they had gone out and, you know, recreated what it was that you put out there. And so that's right. part of, you know, why you're being highlighted in those articles in that magazine. You know, likewise, you're winning awards because 
your book is outstanding. And, you know, I, I, (laughs) I believe you have another one that you're working on. Absolutely. Um, And let me just say, you know, winning all these awards and being highlighted, it's not, um, I don't take it like it's not for my ego. It's, it really, having a sauce business and being an author, these are things that are, you know, I'm not doing because I'm like, you know, trying to get rich. I do it because I love it. And I love creating and I love sharing all these things with, with people and keeping, you know, uh, barbecue on people's minds and in, in their stomachs. Um, so when we, when we get these, uh, when I get these awards or if I get highlighted, I'm very appreciative because it, it helps people recognize the brand. And that's really what it's about. We're really trying to, to uh, build on that. Um, as far as the new book goes, um, it's, it's uh, coming out, I believe, in early spring. Um, if you have ever wanted to cook on a big green egg, but you were in too, too intimidated to get one or to try it, my book, uh, Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecuer by Ray Sheehan, will help you navigate the labyrinth uh, and make it really easy to cook on a big green egg. It basically uh, starts out with, you know, it ex- I explain all the different components and overview of the egg, how to light it, you know, how to set it up, how to light it, how to cook on it, controlling your temperature, maintaining, maintaining the egg. Um, and really once you can do all those things, it's all about making some really great food. So um, you'll see a little bit more of my chops in this book as far as uh, more of my background, um, cooking, barbecuing, roasting, baking, you're going to see a little bit of everything that I've uh, done in my career put into this book to make it easy for you to cook on the big green egg. Yeah, which is very uh, – oh, sorry, keep going. (laughs) If I could interject, first of all, your book is amazing. I have read it. Um, I'm a lover of cookbooks and have a a nice library. But to put you on the spot here for a little bit – um, okay. You know, all the different regions of barbecue through the country. And, you know, I'm not going to ask you to single out any particular person in that aspect, but two part question. First is, you know, do you have a particular region of barbecue, whether it's St. Louis, Kansas City, Carolina, Texas, that, you know, you really love the flavor profiles and, the, you know, that draws you to it? Um, so the first, the first sauce that I came out with was the Memphis Mop barbecue sauce, and which has been my most popular and my most award-winning. I love the flavors of Memphis, um, and, and this sauce really shows it. It's, you know, uh, a little bit of sweet, a little bit of heat, and not too much of any one thing, and I really love that profile, and I love that food. Memphis uh, barbecue is all pork. I love pork, um, and Kansas City is our other sauce, um, and I love I love the fact that with Kansas City, um, anything goes. So, you know, you can have burnt ends, you can have ribs, you you know, the, you can have sausage, turkey. So I love the, the different um, meats and different flavor profiles. Those are probably my two favorites, but I mean, all barbecue is really good. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, those those were the first two barbecue sauces. We came out with a hot sauce and we're hoping to do maybe another barbecue sauce going into next year. 
So the second part of that question then is I encourage everybody to go out and buy your current book and, and look in the spring for when your future book comes out. Is there any barbecue expert, you know, that you worked with or, or, you know, looked at and, and said, wow, you know, I really like their inspirational, you know, like, you know, you had to single out one or two people and say, you know what, I really like follow what they do and they're inspirational to me. That was a big um, asset to you along the way. Us, you know, in, in when you're talking about barbecue, a lot of times you're talking about family recipes that are passed down from generation to generation and their secrets and people don't give out their secrets. But what I found is all the best chefs put out, put their recipes out there and they put themselves, they, they give, they share the knowledge in order to continue the culture and to keep it going. And with okay. barbecue, with barbecue, it's really no different. Um, you see a lot of some of the best barbecue people out there that will give information they'll have classes i mean even myron mixon the winningest man in barbecue is gonna for a price gonna give you his information but um, i was fortunate enough to i'm a big cookbook person i love learning i love taking classes and i love taking barbecue classes and now i teach barbecue classes but it, but it, again it goes right along with sharing you know the, your your recipes and your information and one of the people I look up to, uh, and there's so many in the barbecue world, between, you know, Dr. Barbecue, Ray Lampy, uh, Stephen Reichlin, um, but I, I got to take a, a master competition barbecue class with Tuffy Stone because he was like, you know, someone that I really looked up to, and I learned so much in that class, and um, I would highly recommend if if, if you have cooking uh, barbecue classes in your area, that you take one or two, you know, it may not be the master competition class, but, you know, I mean, I've ta also taken classes in uh, Pennsylvania at Smoking Dudes uh, when they were in Ben Salem and at, uh, you know, with the barbecue guru, Bob Trudnak. You know, I, I'm one of those people, I feel like you can never learn enough and you learn it from everyone, you know, uh, in, a, in a food establishment, like in, in a restaurant, I've learned stuff from the dishwasher, uh, up to the chef, and uh, you just have to really be open to that. I, exactly. uh, you know, one of my favorite series of books is, you know, Stephen Reichlin's books. I, I love all his books. You know, they're just great. Yeah. How to? They're really simple. You know, guides, not complex. But yes. Well, thank you. Um, now, if somebody were to actually take one of your classes, where would they be able to do that? Um, we've done classes right here, uh, right where I cook for you guys in my backyard, and I'm actually working on a couple other places um, in the town where I live uh, to do classes. So I'm hoping that if, if we can't get them in this fall, that by the spring we'll be able to do them. Because I I have a smoker at home, and it perplexes me because it's a little, uh, you know, finding the right temperature um is is can be difficult at least for for myself uh, especially when I multitask so i i wouldn't mind taking a barbecue class from you cuz one i i've already had yours and so i know how amazing you know you are at at doing that but you know you're also local enough to me that that would be right. a beneficial thing 
So, you know, hopefully we'll be able to announce that for you on food farms and chefs as well. Um, Now, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Before we have to let you go and get your tags and where to find you on social media and where to find your cookbook, um, what would be your new favorite barbecue uh, meat to, to eat? My new favorite barbecue meat is um, barbecue uh, beef ribs, like beef short ribs. And I think I did make those when you guys came, and I just can't get enough of them. They're so easy to do, and they're so satisfying. (laughs) So. (laughs) Uh, So where would we be able to find you on social media, and where can we find you, your book? Um, and where can we find your sauces? Um, my website is bbqbuddha.com and on social media, and you can find the sauces there, bbqbuddha.com. Um, and then there's a list of retailers on there. We also ship nationwide. Uh, my social media, um, Instagram and Twitter, at bbq underscore buddha b-u-d-d-h-a and on facebook at award-winning barbecue sauce that is awesome now i also know that you participate in uh barbecue news magazine so you know they our listeners can look out for articles that you've written and contributed oh, yeah. to that <laughs> yep. um, barbecue news magazine hits uh once a month it is a subscription uh, based, if you're part of the National Barbecue Association, you do get it, uh, a complimentary issue. Um, and there's uh, many other associations, uh, barbecue associations, that do give it out, or you can get a yearly subscription. But they do offer a lot of um, free, like, you know, like this month, uh, for September, they're giving out a free trial. And before I forget, uh, you can get my books anywhere books are sold. Uh, right now, my new book is on Amazon. Um, Barnes and Noble, uh, you name it, for pre-order, um, anywhere books are sold. It's uh, Big Green Egg Basics from a Master Barbecuer by Ray Sheehan. Awesome. So be sure to go out. I'll be sure to pre-order that. Um, Ray, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank, thank you, you, Ray. Ray it was, was great, great meeting you. Thank and. You. Thank you very much for having me on the show again. You know what? And I can't wait to cook for you guys again. Oh, it was so awesome. (laughs) And I just want to point out, I want to point out to our listeners that Ray and our show spend an hour and a half from his home. And you can find that on your favorite podcast platform, Amazon Music, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, all the best uh, podcast platforms. It's called Barbecue Champion. And we were at Ray's home. We did a live show. And uh, it gives you a lot of information about Ray. Ray, we can't thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much. And we also, Ray gave us a couple bottles of his sauce to take home, and I gave it out uh, to a neighbor who wanted to try it, and they said it's the best sauce they've ever had in their life. So, oh, it's awesome. Ray, you are the man. Thank you so much. Barbecue champion, Ray Sheehan. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back.
To become a sponsor of our show and promote your business or event on every single podcast platform, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many more. In addition to Talk Radio, WWDB, and WPEN HD2, 97.5 FM, every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Evening Drive Time. Send us an email to diningonadime at yahoo.com for our very low rates. Our show is now legally an LLC business. And we're back, Chef Gene. Introduce your fabulous guest. Well, it is great honor to introduce the farm director at Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture in the lovely Hudson Valley. Uh, Jack Algier, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you for taking the time to join us today, and uh, welcome. Well, thank you, Chef. Uh, really great to be here and uh, have a little conversation with you about uh, food and farming. So, Stormburn Center for Food and Agriculture, uh, people may or may not know, is one of the most unique experiments in agricultural and gastronomic uh, collaboration in, in the country. You know, starting back in the 1990s, uh, a little bit of uh, influence with the Rockefeller family, or the family who owned some of the property, um, but, you know, really the brainchild between you know, conservationists, organic farmers, chefs, and everybody pulled together to come up with this great idea where, you know, conservation meets culinary meets sustainable agriculture. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of stone barns and, you know, what, what, how it all got started? Sure. Well, you know, it's a, it's a long and complex history, but, but to, uh, sort of fast forward it, the, the buildings, the land that we're on here is uh, some incredible uh, highland. Uh, we're, we're just right on the Hudson River, uh, about two miles off the river in lower Hudson Valley, only about a half an hour north of, of New York City. So it's, you know, a lot of suburb around us, but they're are about 1,500 acres of protected land that is the Rockefeller State Park Preserve and uh, the landscape that was originally um, John D. Rockefeller Estate and the family that stayed that was here from them. Now, uh, the farm here, these gorgeous stone barns for who we have our center named after, is a, a 49,000 square foot uh, stone dairy barn and hay barn complex that is absolutely gorgeous and something that Stone Barns is now a nonprofit organization that started in 2004 to the public uh, was something that the Rockefeller family, in particular David Rockefeller and his daughter Peggy Delaney, uh, were really instrumental in uh, seeing this land that was a long time at the heart of their family food and, and uh, relationship with nature, which they, they have a long history of protecting, uh, stepped forward and in memory of David Rockefeller's past wife, Peggy Rockefeller, who started American Farmland Trust and has been instrumental as a cattle breeder, uh, a well-known cattle breeder of Simmentals and things. So they dedicated this land, the original 88 acres and the restoration of these gorgeous barns to Stone Barn Center and for the 501c3 
education center. Um, now, immediately from day one, the idea was we wanted to bring people back here to, to connect to agriculture. It's a very simple idea that people are disconnected from their food. Um, and it's increasingly hard to make better choices for our families, for the planet, for our own diet. Uh, the further we're removed from farms and from natural settings. And so it was a very simple idea. Uh, restore the place and open it so that people could come here and uh, see regenerative farming, organic farming. They could see and taste uh, in, you know, culinary and artisanship that, that is directly connected with this and be a part of of this kind of polycultural community that we have uh, that is representative of the kind of farming and ecology work that we do, the kind of uh, gastronomic culinary work that we do here. So Stone Barns, uh, I started here in, uh, in the year before we opened to the public to establish the farm operation to go from what was a uh, cattle breeding operation to a working organic, multifaceted polycultural farm. We have 10 acres of organic vegetables, and I'll explain our role in the grasslands work to cattle, sheep, goats, pigs, chickens, the work there in grain systems. Um, now over 500 acres worth of management. So uh, we started at once with Blue Hill, uh, the restaurant, for-profit restaurant, Dan Barber and his brother, and sister-in-law, David and Maureen Barber, um, who brought Blue Hill from the city, which was uh, an up-and-coming restaurant um, at Washington Square Park and opened Blue Hill at Stone Barns at the same time as our partner restaurant. And so for the past 18 years, Dan and myself and this amazing community of farmers and chefs and researchers and teachers and, um, and community have been working together to experiment and explore and uh, really enjoy together the potential of what our food system can really look like going forward. You know, what you talked about is, is something that resonates hard with me. I was a, in education. I was a chef educator for many years. And one of the things that I did every year with my students was a program, you know, farms to table, and we were taking our culinary students out to farms to get their hands in the soil, learn about the crops, learn about farming, you know, learn about, you know, animal management and doing all that. And I so see how important that is to how important that is to chefs and you know, creating food and, and doing all that. You also have some other programs. You have a chef of residence program up there now starting, and you have the uh, farming or agricultural fellows program. Can you talk a little bit about both of them? Sure. Well, you know, first I'll say after 18 years of doing this, um, as you said, with Farm the Table and, and a community of people who get a chance to see this space, one thing we learned is that it, there's there's no end the circle and the relationships the, the multidisciplinary relationship that is our food system um, has shown us a lot about the fact that you know no farm no restaurant no community can do this on their own is that if we want to combat things like food insecurity or climate change or environmental stewardship that we really do need to work together and 
one of the most direct and honestly easy and probably enjoyable ways to do that is through food. The more we can uh, more deeply appreciate and revere the food that we eat, the, the more we can actually help improve our local regional environments and, and have new businesses and, and new expertise and new ideas emerge. And so there's a series of different things that we've done over the years as we've worked with um, different communities, children, uh, school groups, farmer training programs, chef training programs. Our most recent iteration of this is continually more integrated. And as we, the past couple of years has been a challenge for absolutely everyone on the planet. Um, and where, as we looked at COVID and the, the, the response of what that did for us to, to tuck back, it, it allowed us to really see how, um, uh, how valuable the local food system is to our community and how valuable it is for people to be able to have contact with these spaces. So, you know, we have a reputation. We have an incredible platform and influence as an organization. We have this beautiful place and all of this experience farming and cooking and integrating. Um, so we wanted to, we want to share that with people. We want people to be able to come in at all levels, at, at novice, the consumer level, at the farmer level, at the expert artisan, cheesemaker, butcher, baker, uh, florist, uh, the chef, the, the ecological researcher, um, to come into this place and, and be able to uh, use all the resources that this has as they go, go back into their system. So we opened a program this year that I think really exemplifies that, and we use the chef as the point of this. So um, what, we, what we really saw, and I think was tremendously important, is that we, we, the chef stepped aside. He stepped aside for a minute to open up the organization for new chefs to come in from all over the world. We have had now we're on our ninth chef who's part of the, the residency program with us. And it is a, a series of chefs, you know, anywhere five weeks that come in uh, that starting this past January uh, who creative background and expertise and use all the resources and all the power of this organization to create. And, so they work with the farmers, they work with the cooks that are in the restaurant, they work with our butchers and our bakers and, and all this together. And um, in one way, we challenge them. We, we challenge them to, you know, to, to test their ethic, to, to really use these resources, especially because most of these chefs are well-known and are thinking about this, uh, you know, using local products, using seasonal products, but, but rarely do people have the opportunity to, to fully embrace a community like this. We're, you, we're a group of people. So we've had an incredible success with this. It's been extremely valuable for everyone who works here, the farmers, the, the other cooks that are in the kitchen because we just keep learning more. Another great, talented expert cook 
uh, chef can come in here and interpret this incredible environment. Uh, the vegetables that we're breeding or, or trialing, the, the animals and the way we're managing those animals, um, the grass-fed, the whole grains, and that diversity of that polyculture that, that we've been working on for two decades. And it's amazing how unique and uh, inspiring each of these chefs were able to come in and, and uh, look through their own lens starting with uh, Sholo Amaloyu, who was from Nigeria and has been doing incredible work with uh, Nigerian cuisine, but also French and, and international cuisine in general. And we had Taos, New Mexico represented, and uh, African diaspora through Philly, through uh, Omar Tate, through uh, uh, Jorge Vallejo in the summer, uh, uh, with uh, from Mexico City, the extraordinary or the Baleo, uh, to now with um, with Pam Young, who is a fantastic pizza chef. We we're doing uh, focusing on whole wheat pizzas with farm ingredients, um, and she's running an outdoor pizza pizza oven right now uh, for these next few weeks. So nine chefs over the course of of the the past nine months. Um, so it's been an incredible journey for our whole team. Um, and on top of that, all kinds of education that's happening for the outside world. We have this great virtual community during COVID that is tuning into us, uh, not to mention lots of people who are coming in to experience um, Stone Barns and Blue Hill through the eyes and hand of, of a new chef and, and different culture. Um, the other kind of program that we're doing are really built around uh, entrepreneurship. And just like I had said, if you would look at an organic farm or what we should be looking at really for real, true, resilient, uh, sustainable farming is mixed farming, polyculture. That's, that's what was in place when we didn't have access to fertilizers and uh, outside fertilizers and, and inputs and things. And not to say that we would go back to the past, but the concept the principles of agriculture and of nature are good now and into the future. And respecting those things and learning from them is really key. So just like we run a polyculture where we're integrating grains and animals and vegetables into systems for, for the health of the soil and for the health and, and nutrition of the plants and animals, um, we also are looking at that polyculture that exists within the food system itself. And you know very well as a chef, the closer you are to the farmers around you, the closer you are to these expert bakers and preservationists and butchers that you work with, when you can work with those people, we get inspired by each other. And, and we can find new equity and new business and new ventures and, and new products and things that can emerge. So, uh, you know, that's what, that's what's, our entrepreneurial intensives and some of these fellowships that we've done over the years really help to foster because when we bring in outside farmers, outside chefs, um, uh, food producers, we mix them together, we give them these interdisciplinary spaces to work in, and they build their own inspiration out of this place together. And, and in many cases, foster long-term relationships and businesses that emerge out of that um, intensive and, and really uh, 
productive time that they have together when they're here. So leads me to next part of this is people coming up and obviously there is very few places in America that you can go that has the natural beauty of the Hudson Valley in the fall. So people who may be considering a Hudson Valley trip and want to add stone barns to it, you know, what are they going to find? What are they going to discover? What are they going to, you know, enjoy when they stop in the stone farms? Obviously, great food, you know, next couple of weeks, an outdoor pizza cafe, everything like that. But, you know, what, what can the person stopping in for a day, you know, as they're enjoying the beauty of the Hudson Valley, you know, take in and, and, and learn while they're there? So, first of all, the Hudson Valley, just in general, as a region, is a great place to visit in the fall. Um, and I'll tell you that um, from a person who spends so much time outside and, and so many years observing nature and seeing this, my prediction here is that this fall is going to be the most colorful that we've had in many years. Um, as you all have, wherever you are, at least if you're anywhere on the East Coast, you know that you are inundated with water right now. Um, and all that water in the soil and these, the, the coolness that finally getting a little bit cool as we go into fall, I'm imagining this is going to be beautiful, bright, vibrant fall because of all the water that's in the system right now. Um, so Hudson Valley is full of, of great farms and great restaurants and all kinds of artisans from distillers to flower farms to great bakeries to cheesemakers. So if you don't come to the Hudson Valley, um, the fall is a wonderful time to visit. It is full of uh, food tour potential, farm tour potential. At Stone Barns, uh, it's particularly unique in its own way. And I would have to say in its beauty, um, we do overlook the Hudson and the amount of protected land here in the park preserve for which we oversee management of all of our grass-fed and forest-raised animals. Um, it's 1,500 acres of public parkland with 60 miles of open carriage trails, and these are open to the public. This is New York State Park, and Stone Barns fits at the center of that. So without even entering the gates of Stone Barns, you would experience Stone Barns just by being in the area and being in the preserve. If you'd like to come here, there are a series of different programs and classes and that sort of thing that we promote on our website at stonebarnscenter.org. And you can learn about some of the new programs that are happening uh, daily, uh, what we call field trips, which are tours with our farmers and engaging activities that you can uh, take cooking classes or learn about some of this artisanal work that we're doing here with butchery and whole grain baking. Um, but we do ask that everybody does reserve a space um, on, on the website and online um, as that we are an open and you know, it's a great space, especially even during uh, the pandemic that we're sort of living and fighting against here. Um, it's a lot of outdoor space to wander and it's a, a great safe environment but also really important to us that everybody, that we, we care for each other that are here. So uh, signing up online 
for a program or a visit um, to get a lunchbox and to enjoy the property, to uh, eat together. Um, we have all kinds of special things coming in the fall that I won't um, that I won't give away quite yet. But there's so much interesting stuff on the horizon here. And uh, check out our website. Definitely keep track of what we're doing here. Um, our residency will come to a close um, at the end of September here for pizza, and we have some new special things to share coming forward. So again, from the culinary side of it, there's uh, some surprises on the way. So Jack, before you know, we get into plugs and, and tags and where people can get more information and all that stuff, I want to you know, let our listeners know that not only are you a great source of information about the history, the legacy of Stone Farms, but you know you are an amazing organic farmer yourself with great potential. Me as a, a gardener and as an organic gardener, when I read your bio and, and I saw you know how you know who recommended you for that job, you know, Bianca Coleman, you know, it's like okay, you know, somebody who really knows the land. So, you know, for our listeners, it's very important that this isn't, and we're not talking to public relations or marketing here. We're talking to the farm director. And that's a real important thing in hearing what you have to say. It's really unique. Uh, my culinary idol um, was, you know, from Chicago. And, you know, he really started uh, a program out there that did a lot of, you know, bringing farmers, you know, we're bringing chefs to farms. You know, Charlie Trotter, who you know sadly passed away some years ago, was all about the quality of produce and educating people. And he put together a program, you know, in Chicago that did exactly what you did. So, I, you know, I admire what you're doing and the fact that you're educating, you know, chefs, you're educating culinarians, you're educating farmers to work with each other and build those relationships. So, you know, kudos to you. So tell us, you know, exactly where Stone Barnes is located. If you'll give us that website again, if there's social media that people could follow and get more information, you know, we'd really like to know all that. Okay. Well, thanks for the, uh, thanks for the perk on uh, the farming. And, you know, I, just a, a note about that to, to start is that, for anyone who's listening that is an aspiring farmer or, or, or loves their farmers in their community, just know that, you know, I've spent a life doing this. And uh, the more I do it, the more I realize it's, it's a practice. Um, and that practice is rooted in a set of principles that, from my perspective, have helped guide me and the hundreds of farmers that have come to train with me here over the years. And that's that soil is at the center of that. Um, real change in the environment around us is based in caring for this healthy soil. And at the end of the day, all of the delicious flavors and all of the, the habitat and all the health that, that comes with great quality produce and great quality meats starts with really healthy soils and, and a deep care for the, the ecosystems that we're farming in. Um, and, and the reverence of our place itself. So um, I learn that lesson more every day that I do this, and I, that reflects, in, um, of course, in the people that eat this food, but also in all the farmers and chefs and around us that are dedicated to that work. 
So if you want to learn more about what we do and keep keep up with us, keep track of all this that's happening here, you can certainly follow us on social media. Um, we are are regular on on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Stone Barnes on on Instagram, and and our website for for all other tracks and that sort of thing at stonebarnscenter.org. Uh, we are again a nonprofit, and our focus is really to uh, turn people on to the potential of our food system and to encourage them to work together, to work together in this food system that, that all of us have a responsibility to um, not only help the planet, but enjoy ourselves in the process. And part of that comes with eating together, farming together, building equitable businesses together and, and, uh, and feeding others on the way. And I encourage our listeners to, you know, we go to their website and you see what they're doing. And if you can't make it this fall to go and visit, or you can't make it in the spring or the summer, you know, there's other ways on their website that you can help support them. You know, they are a nonprofit, but what they're doing is going to leave, you know, a great legacy for our children and for generations to come, because without the farmer, we would all be hungry, naked, and sober. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. So let's let's all let that sink in. And again, please, I really appreciate that. You can always donate to Stone Barns and, and follow us and keep track. So thank you very much, Chef. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jack. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure. And the answer to your question earlier on, I have not. I will be very shortly. I'm heading up that way next month. And I have, um, I'm actually headed into Vermont now, but the Hudson Valley is such a gorgeous area, and I totally recommend everyone to go visit. There's so much to do, and, you know, by all means, go visit Stone Barn. Thank you, Jack. Thank you. It, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you. Thank you. Very welcome. Jack, Thank I'll you. Send, I'll send over the pod, the podcast. will go live Tuesday morning. I'll send that over to you. Um, as soon as it goes live, I'll send you the links. And then it'll play uh, on the Hudson Valley affiliate, WMLD, Friday at midday. And then it'll be Tuesday evening on two stations here in Philadelphia. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. That's thank really you, wonderful. Jack. Thank you. Thank you. Our, hey guys, thank have a good you. one. Our prize giveaway winner from last week is Sharon K. James of East Lansdowne, PA. We will be getting in touch with you so you can claim your prizes. Philly Restaurant Reviews with an S.com for all information about the show. Amherst Pollock. You can find me on social media at A.R. Pollockus, or you can find me under my name, Amaris Pollock. Or if you would like to be a guest on our show, my email is A-R-P-O-L-L-O-C-K-U-S at gmail.com. Chef Gene! You can find me across social media at Gene Blum or IBFoodie2, or you can always email me directly at I-B-F-O-O-D-I-E-2 at yahoo.com. That's I-B-Foodie-2 at yahoo.com. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.